Well, there's a lot of different uh, conversion rates and numbers, et cetera, that, that you measure to, to see if you are at that position. And you can always improve, right? We have a laundry list of, of a roadmap of features that we want to uh, develop and get out um, that will constantly improve this. But um, the, the, the thing that we really track, uh, it's kind of funny way you, there's, there's um, NPS scores and happiness scores and all sorts of different things you can track. One of the things you can do is, is ask your users, especially if you're not quite at, an, at, a, at a product market fit or, or at scale, um, asking them how likely are you going to recommend you to friends is a little bit of an awkward question because you know you're not there, right? So that might not actually give you the results that you want. So one thing that um, the guys at Superhuman uh, did, uh, which we followed as well, is asking your customers how disappointed you, you flip it and you ask them how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use Savvy Navi or whatever it might be. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision and that is to educate, inform and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Yelte, founder at Savvy Navi. Savvy Navi is an app great for planning a sailing trip built by sailors for sailors. Whether you want to create a passage plan, measure distance, or simply check the weather and tide, you can do it all with Savvy Navi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship Podcast. Uh, today, we're joined by Yelta. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Um, Thank you. you know, give us a, a little bit of a background into, you know, Savvy Navi, what you guys are doing, and also yourself. Sure, sure. Um, so let me, uh, I guess, start at the beginning. It's probably probably the best place to start. Um, so I'll take you back a bit bit now. But in 2014, um, I found myself in the middle of the Pacific on a 70-foot sailboat, slamming through three-meter high waves uh, while the wind was howling, um, trying to get down to Panama in the Clipper Around the World Yacht Race. And I say trying because it turned out to be quite a little bit more difficult than I thought, and not so much the sailing, but the technology and to understand how you navigate, what is the best route to get you down to your destination. And that's really where the idea for Savvy Navi began. I mean, at the time I was still working at Google um, and I took a sabbatical to do the race, um, but I couldn't shake the idea that sailing and technology, uh, that there's a lot more that we could have been doing to help people when they're out in the water. And not just people on 70 foot race boats, but even the leisure sailor just going from you know, cows to France or even around the coast of, of England. Um, there's a lot of things that we take for granted when it comes to navigation and land that are not as easy at sea. Um, so that's kind of where Savvy Navi started in my head. Um, I then continued to work at Google for a little bit longer, but in 2017 decided that if I wanted to do something about this, then I had to go in for a penny and for a pound. So I left Google and started Savvy Navi. Um, and that's, that's basically it. That's how we got started, at least. Then we got started on building an MVP, um, getting more 
information from our users, from sailors around the world, what is it that they're actually struggling with, and gradually over the last couple of years, um, built Savinavi to where we are today, with over 30,000 people on our on our database, um, trying the app and using the app. So um, yeah, it's been an exciting ride. Awesome. Um, so of course, jumping onto your digital presence and, and checking out the website, it all looks really good. Um, the sort of value prop on there is, is sailing navigation made easy. So um, could you tell us a little bit more about the product? What is, uh, you know, what can you get out of the app and <clears throat> Sure. Um, yeah, so if you, uh, for, for those of you who, who are not sailors who haven't been out on the water, if you want to go from A to B on the water, um, you have to take a lot of things into consideration in order to be safe. Um, the weather is obviously a big factor, right? Uh, the wind itself plays a big role, but also storms, rain, etc. But the water itself is moving, right? You have tides, you have ocean currents, so you have to take that into consideration. And then there's a lot of things that you don't see. There's shipwrecks, there's there's things slightly under the under the water. So you have charts, you have to understand the charts, you have to understand the hazards. Um, there's busy shipping lanes that you need to avoid. So all of this stuff you have to take into consideration when you're plotting your route from A to B. Uh, and ideally, you also plot some, some backups. So if there's not, um, if there's going to be worse weather, where do you go? Where can you seek shelter, etc. Now, at Savinavi, um, we're trying to build a system where all of this is in one place, easy for you to use. So you simply, like Google Maps, drop one pin, and within seconds, we calculate the best course for you to take. Now, I want to stress that we're not saying, you take Savinavi, you, you build, put it on your phone, and that's all you ever need to do. You don't need to learn how to do any of this. Uh, obviously, you, you don't go on a motorway without a driving license. It's the same thing. you got to get you know, your qualifications and understand what it is to get out to sea. But what we're trying to do is make it easier for you. I remove some intimidation factors that, that some people have going into sailing, thinking this is too difficult, too, too scary, too whatever. We're trying to take that away. So with just two pins, you drop, uh, drop two pins on the app, and within seconds, you get the best course to steer. Uh, and away you go, really. Yeah, incredible. Um, so let's let's look at timeline a little bit here. So in terms of um, from when you had the idea, um, mm -hmm. when, when was that then, the, the first idea it sort of came about into your head before you started working on it? So that's, that's indeed that 2014, so quite some time ago yeah, now. Yeah, cool. Um, and, and out in the Pacific on that boat. Um, that's really where I got the idea. I've, I've been sailing all, all my life, uh, mm -hmm. from the age of eight years old, um, in the Netherlands, mostly on lakes, so not big ocean type of things. Um, but I've sailed in the Baltic, in, in Thailand, Tahiti, all over. Um, but it wasn't until I did that race where I really started to realize how dated some of the technology is that, that you have on a boat. Uh, it's kind of where land navigation was probably 15 years ago, and a lot of people don't you know, remember this or, or even realize this, but you know, everybody has Google Maps now and you just assume that's it, right? But uh, not so long ago, I was living in London and everybody carried an A to Z. Yeah. And everybody always had something with you, right? And, yeah, yeah. And it, you, you kind of forget, right? Now it's like everybody has a smartphone and it's obvious. Well, it's not obvious on, on C. Um, cool. A lot of the data sources that you need to get are just difficult to get to. So 2014 is where the idea started, um, and then I played with it like on the sideline, like hobby, while at, uh, working at Google, and just talked to a lot more sailors and try to get more uh, feel for what is what it, what are people struggling with. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, I was living in San Francisco, uh, working for Google. I came back to the UK because I became a dad, um, 
and really 2017 is where um, I, I figured, well, if I want to do something, I, I got to do it right. So um, I think it was August 2017, I left Google and, uh, and started Sabinami. Yeah, incredible. So how long did it take you from, you know, actually taking that leap to creating the first MVP? Uh, not so long, actually. It was about four or five months to, okay. to have an MVP. But I have to stress that was an MVP. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to, you know, that's, that's actually a very good point to, to call out. Um, MVPs, you know, everybody probably has read Eric Reese's book on you know, Lean Startups and, and everybody talks about MVPs. Um, if you're not ashamed of your MVP, then you probably waited too long, right? Yeah. So there were so many things that were not working, that weren't quite right and looked ugly, but we got it out and right? we got it out in the hands of users, um, had them play with it. And actually we followed that up probably about six months later, uh, with a paid for version and it was still an MVP, but we started to charge money for it. Um, and really for, uh, the same reason, if you get an MVP out to test the waters, unintended um but you do so and usually you you know you're gonna get some feedback from friends or whatever and it's a free version so you get jaded feedback right it isn't until you start asking people to pay for something that you get the real feedback right yeah somebody can say it's all great it's lovely but if they're not gonna take out their wallet and pay then it doesn't matter right so we made sure that we had a paying version like a founding member version really early on uh, I think that was July 2018 um, to really then start to work out, okay, well, what, why are people not buying, right? What are the things that are missing? And we had a laundry list ourselves, but there's a bunch of things that we realized by doing this, what, what is actually important. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, understanding that customer, I, I guess, interaction with your product um, when they actually go inside of it and start using it, it's, it's just so valuable. So I would ask then, um, I guess, the first MVP that you, you guys came up with, um, how much traction did that develop? And then, you know, when you transitioned to actually releasing this uh, paid version of the MVP, did you see sort of a, a decline in traffic or was it actually an, an uptake in, in customers? Um, it's a good question. We got far more traction than we initially thought we would get. Mm -hmm. I can't actually remember the, 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 the numbers. Uh, I'd have to go look them up. But um, we launched at the time in the MVP, we launched that at the London Boat Show. We didn't have a stand or anything. We didn't have any money. Um, yeah. but, um, but we walked around and we talked to other people in the industry and, and we made a big push on social uh, about the launch and really quickly got a lot of people interested. And we I think we spent like two pounds or something a day on a Facebook ad, like something really, really tiny. And the, the click-through rates and the CPAs were amazing. And it just showed like, as soon as you put this in front of somebody, as soon as you put it like a picture of a, of a chart and a, and a route in front of sailors, they're interested. And they're yeah. interested because there isn't anything else, right? So it really validated this, this need for a solution. Even if we didn't quite know what, quite what shape that would take, it, it, it really, resonated with a lot of people so um so that worked well and then same for the founding member program you know we we put that out there and like i said it was still an mvp but we call it a founding member program so it's, it's slightly different than just asking for for payments but it's like people get on early and and support us um and and the uptake was phenomenal it was much much higher than we thought uh, a lot of right. people very openly saying you know we see the need for this so we we will 
support you, right? It's, it's not quite what we want just yet, but, but we know we, you know, if we help you, you can get there. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, the, the uptake was more than we thought. It was better than we thought. Brilliant. Um, so I guess that takes us to sort of the, the 2018 period. Um, so between now and then, of course, COVID happened earlier this year and there's a bunch of stuff around that. But mm-hmm. how did you see, um, one, I guess, the change in the product? So were you con- constantly making changes, updates and improving? Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, has that stayed the same during that time period? Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um yeah, it's a really good question. And, and I think, um, so 2018 indeed was very much our MVP year. Mm-hmm. Um, 2019, we started the year with a crowdfunding round. We'll get into fundraising a little bit more detail later if you want. Um, but it was really crucial for us to make it clear to our investors that, look, 2019, we're, we've got an MVP. And I hear this a lot from startups or whatever. They have an MVP, they've got a little bit of traction and then and then they go for scaling. Um, and I was very adamant to make it clear to everybody involved that that's not what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. the reason that we weren't going to do it is because you don't scale an MVP. And again, it's an MVP for a product uh, for, for a reason. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the end product, right? You first have to go to an AP, an awesome product. Yeah. Right? So 2019 for us was on purpose, not scaling on purpose, keeping our marketing low, but enough people through the front door so that we can make the product as good as we possibly can before we scale. So we did a lot of, a lot of different AB tests, experimenting and, and trying out different things to really nail the product market fit, right? So everything was about product market fit for us. We measured it, um, get into the details of that. Um, and then at the end of 2019, beginning 2020, we felt that, okay, now we're in a position for this sailing season to really push for scale, right? And really go for growth. So we did another funding round, uh, completed that just before COVID, which was uh, fortunate. Yeah. But no denying COVID has changed a lot of things for, for, for everybody, but, but obviously also for us. So where we had planned to really push for growth, uh, we found ourselves stuck, right? Um, there's no point in pushing the marketing machine if everybody's stuck at home and nobody's out on the water. Yeah. Um, so that changed a bit for us, but uh, ultimately the progression was such a you know, first product market fit, nail that, get that truly done and dusted as best you can, obviously, um, yeah. and then start going for growth. So it's kind of cool. the trajectory. And you guys feel like you, you, you're at a good place just prior to, to COVID. You're ready to yeah. sort of actually turn on that marketing machine and, and start pumping. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, conversion rates and numbers, et cetera, that, that you measure to, to see if you are at that position. Mm-hmm. And you can always improve, right? We have a laundry list of, of a roadmap of features that we want to uh, develop and get out um, that will constantly improve this. But um, the, the, the thing that we really track, uh, it's a kind of funny way, you, there's, there's um, NPS scores and happiness scores and all sorts of different things you can track. One of the things you can do is, is ask your users, especially if you're not quite at, an, at a, at a pro- product market fit or, or at scale, um, asking them how likely are you going to recommend you to friends is a little bit of an awkward question because you know you're not there, right? So that might not actually give you the results that you want. So one thing that um, the guys at Superhuman uh, did, uh, which we followed as well, is asking your customers how disappointed you, you flip it and you ask them, how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use Savvy Navi or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed or not disappointed. And you can follow it up with a few more questions if you want. 
And the key thing is if you can get to a position where 40% of your users would be very disappointed if they cannot use your product or service, then you're in a good position, right? Now you're in a place where people are clearly, they like what this is offering them. Um, and, and so you know you've, you've achieved something useful that you can now try and start to scale. Now, lots of caveats, it's obviously a survey, so you know it's, it's cultural references is a difference as well, but we, we gradually built that up to like, we got to 45%, whatever. Um, and just following it up with user surveys and, and, and calls, and we were really actively talking to our members and really felt that, okay, now we're at the position where we can really push this. There were a few more features that were coming at the time that we have literally two weeks ago launched, that make it even more into that realm. Yeah. But yeah, we, we, we got to the position where we felt we can now really grow. Awesome. Um, so I guess that leads us quite nicely then into sort of discussing the funding um, and, and how many rounds you guys have been through and, and et cetera. So tell us a, a little bit about that. <clears throat> yeah, funding, <laughs> uh, favorite topic. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, fundraising, I mean, fun, fundraising is an interesting one, right? If, if, if anybody ever tells you they like fundraising, they're either lying or they are actively in, in fundraising <laughs> and probably still lying. Um, <laughs> joking aside, fundraising, it's, the reason I, I really don't like it is because it takes a lot of effort, right? And it takes a lot of time and all of that is time that you don't spend on the product or you know, on your customers or anything else. But it's a must, right? And nowadays in, in what we do, especially in tech, um, actually I say it's a must. Let me back that up for a second. If, if you can get away with not fundraising, then then don't do it, right? Mm. There's too many people who go, oh, I must go fundraising. I must go to a VC. I must do this. Think long and hard, right? If, if you can find a way that you can bootstrap it or get revenue through the front door before you go big, uh, that might be a better choice, right? Don't just assume that you need to go fundraising. Having said that, in the vast majority, especially B2C cases, um, B2C on tech, you'll find that you, you need to fundraise, right? So, so we did, we, um, as I said, we did a first funding round, um, Q1 2019, uh, crowdfunding. Uh, we looked at some other options first, uh, found them not to really be compatible with what we were looking to do. Uh, so we did fundraising uh, on uh, the Cedars platform. Um, that also went a little bit crazy uh you know you you plan for all eventualities and how long are you going to be on the platform for how much do you need to raise the minimum the maximum and all this other good stuff um and we we overfunded by 265 percent in a week um, wow <laughs> we, we had to we had to shut it down and i found that we couldn't actually shut it down because by law you have to have it live for like a week or whatever wow. um so yeah it went quite a bit better than we had thought which is great mm -hmm. um I mean, it was just a small seed round but still um and then uh, this year, we followed that up with another, our second round and raised about 620000 or something like that, uh, again, overfunding uh, quite a fair bit. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's worked well for us. Um, I, I think the, the other thing, though, we, we did struggle in the beginning a bit to, um, to really know what type of funding we were looking for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having come from Google, there were a few doors to me that were open and I was able to pitch in front of a hundred VCs, et cetera, which is great and an amazing experience and, and learn a lot from it. Um, but knowing the difference between VC funding, angel funding, crowdfunding, any of the other vehicles, um, was quite a bit of a learning curve, curve for us, uh, myself and my co-founder, 
I'd worked for startups, but I'd never done one myself. Um, so there's a lot of things that we learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it, you know, it all came, came good. We, we got the right funding in and got the right investors in who, but by and large, uh, our, our 700 plus investors are wow. sailors or understand the problem space. Um, a lot of them have helped us with additional thing, not not just you know the money, but yeah. uh, contacts in the industry, uh, marketing support, uh, etc. So that's been really good. Awesome. Um, so I'd ask then, you know, sounds like fundraising was really successful, and that's that's great to hear that you guys overfunded not once but potentially twice there. So that's, that's also incredible, really good sign, I think for, for things to come. Um, so when did you start now just jumping back a bit? Um, so 2018 was like your initial MVP. Um, 2017 is when you really made that first jump. When did you start, um, hiring and, you know, do you have a co-founder? Is it a solo founding project or, you know, what were those first roles, um, to actually start growing the company? What did they look like? Um, so yeah, uh, very good question. Um, so I have a co-founder, um, 2017, uh, Kevin and myself, we got together. We know each other from 20 years back from when we worked at a company called Symbian showing my age now. Um, (laughs) anyway, so yeah, one of the things that I figured out really quickly is, okay, I understand the tech and I can, I can build this thing, but, um, Pulling in a lot of data sources will require a lot of contractual negotiations with a lot of organizations around the world, um, and that's really where Kevin comes in. Um, you know, reading reading contracts that thick um, <laughs> is not really my forte; it is his. So, so that was really good. It was great to to get together again and um, you know jump into this together. And we then had you know the the, the fortune of, of having a lot of really great contacts and friends that helped us out. Right. So mm-hmm. people who um, just spend some of their own time on it or, uh, you know, part time or freelance or whatever, uh, just to get everything going. But really, it was us and a handful of other people helping out for the initial push. Once we did our first fund round, uh, funding round, that's really when we looked at hiring and said, okay, okay. now now we have money in the bank um, other than the bootstrap money that we put there ourselves. Um, who can we get on board and in particular get an engineer on board full time to, uh, to, to really take us to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 2019. Um, we hired Stefanos, uh, our lead engineer, great guy. Um, we're distributed teams. So from the start, we've had people all over the globe and we kept that. Uh, we initially looked at, you know, do we want an office or not? And decided, no, let's, let's stay distributed. And that's been one of the best decisions. And now COVID, everybody is distributed. But um, at the time, it was it was really good for us, mo- mostly for hiring, right? Because if you're wherever you have an office, that's it. You're you're hiring there, and you're competing with other people. So if we had an office in London, you'd be competing for engineers with Google and and others. And as a startup, you just cannot, you know, you, you can't pay the salaries that Google is paying, right? So yeah. being able to be distributed, uh, Stefanos is uh, is in in Greece, right? So he's miles away. Um, but he's an amazing math guy, amazing engineer. Um, so we were really fortunate to find him and, and get him on board. Um, and then we have a handful of other people. Uh, it's about eight of us in total now um, okay. working the show. And then this year, second funding round, we were going to expand. We we're going to hire three or four more people. Um, that's all been put on ice because of COVID. Um, but that's still ultimately the plan. Yeah, brilliant. Um, 
that's 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 super incredible to see that uh, and it's an interesting um take on it i really like how you phrase that sort of if you were to have an office based in london mm-hmm. you would be competing with google for the best engineers and that's probably quite a difficult thing especially as you know a startup so that's that's a really cool spin on it um yeah. So looking um, at sort of the, the digital presence that you guys have and, you know, your website and a variety of digital touch points, um, the branding's like pretty good. Um, I like how it's, it's definitely a, a digital friendly logo and, you know, you guys have really looked like it's been taken into account. You know, you've had that conversation on, on branding and, and making sure that it's, it's modern and it's versatile across a variety of different channels. So, um, you know, we really like it. How did, uh, how did that come about? And, um, you know, when did you start that conversation? Was that in 2017, you hired a logo designer or was that, you know, <laughs> way down the road type of thing? Uh, no, it was not 2017. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a little funny story. In 2017, we had a logo. Um, okay. Now, unfortunately, that was a logo that I designed. <laughs> uh, and trust me, I'm not a logo designer. So um, <clears throat> one of the people that has helped us out from the start is, is part of our team uh, is Tim. Mm-hmm. Tim and I worked at uh, Google Maps together. He's a UX designer, senior UX designer at Google Maps. He's, oh. in fact, cartographer by, by trade, funny enough. Uh, so obviously, that's been really good for us because it has allowed us to do things that, you know, if you don't have that up front, it, it gets very difficult, especially a map-based type of solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Tim took... Um, Took some time to be diplomatic to me and tell me that my logo sucked, <laughs> uh, but ultimately he did, and and we we fixed it and we we got a better logo in place and we did a whole bunch of other stuff now. Um, so that was 2017. Throughout 2018 and 19, um, we tweaked it, we made it better, etc. But it was coming up to a um, to its limitations of what we could do. Um, so it was only this year actually that we sat down and went, okay, now that we want to go for scale because because before it wasn't that important anyway, right? You've got to get the basics in place. It's got to look good and it's got to work, but we weren't doing as many different things with our brand yet for it to be important. That changes once you're going for scale, right? So now you need to do a lot more with the brand, with the, with the logo, with the design, with the colors, with, you know, have the depth to be able to do all of that type of stuff. And, and we just, we kept hitting uh, the limits of what we had. So we worked with a company called Keeping Studio, um, who are down here in Bournemouth. Um, and I know uh, personally, uh, they did a great job. We just sat down and went, okay, well, what are the things that uh, we're struggling with? What are the things that we, you know, like building infographics to get out to more people? Um, we have ideas about uh, giving you things that, that sailors can have on board, like little infographics to help them do the things that they need to do on board. Um, all sorts of different things that we wanted to build that our existing branding didn't really allow us to. Um, so they were great in, in, in fleshing that out and saying, okay, well, what about this? What, what have you thought about the journey over there and, and getting yourself positioned over, over, over there or doing this or doing that? And ultimately, together, we came up with this, this new brand and the new logo. It's, it's, it's a refresh of what we had, so it's mm-hmm. not a million miles away, but it's like the, the next iteration that allows us to do what we do now. Uh, and it's it's crucial and it's, it's really opened us up to do things that previously we were just struggling to do, if you will. Cool. Great. So 
Um, you guys are very active on social media. Um, I kept scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> Great <laughs> sign. Um, so when you were actually working on that last logo iterations, did you mm -hmm. guys take into consideration so social media? And if so, in what capacity? How did that inform the process? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we took social, we took all channels into consideration. So um, one of the issues we had with the previous logo was that it didn't work in different resolutions, different screen sizes, different like on merchandising. It, it only worked on a white background, another dark mm -hmm. background. It didn't work when we had our social, like the avatar that comes up everywhere. It was, just, it was getting lost. So there's no presence. There's no uh, recognition of, oh, that's them, right? Um, so yeah, we looked at all of those things, looked at them across the, across the board. Uh, and that's what Keeping Studio helped us do, right? To, to, mm -hmm. to really sit down and think, okay, what else does this logo and this brand need to be able to do so that we can build towards that rather than, mm -hmm. oh, that's a pretty picture or whatever, yeah. or, you know, like here's, here's three logos, send it to your friends and, and have a survey of which ones they like best. Right. That, <laughs> that, that, that yeah. those, I mean, it's great to start with. And that's ultimately what we did to start. And that's fine if you're not necessarily getting to scale, but when you need to start activating different channels, um, it has to work across all of it and it has to work across it in a recognizable way, right? If I see Savinavi on the website and then I see it on social or I see it on Instagram or wherever I might see it, I need to be able to subliminally in my head go, okay, that's those guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we worked very hard to make sure that that aligns. Great. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it definitely shows. So really good job. And uh, in terms of um, social media and how the brand basically utilizes the creative content, the visual aspects. Um, do you currently have someone in-house that is taking care of that day-to-day -day, or do you work externally on that with someone? Uh, no, it's in-house. Um, and it's quite crucial for us because not just the visual, but also the the, the voice that we have mm -hmm. is really important. Um, we're, uh, if you will, we're the new kid on the block when it comes to sailing. But um, as I said before, it's really important to make clear to everybody that we're not saying, oh, just get an app and they show you blue dot and you're happy and you're safe. Um, so getting the voice right, understanding the message that we're sending across is very crucial, is very important. And it's also, uh, it's, it's, it's a niche, right? Um, what we do is very specific. Um, so having an external agency uh, do that for you, unless they happen to be sailors, it's going to be very difficult for them to get that feel and that message across. Also, from the start, we've been very active with our uh, audience, right? So in-app chat, um, on Facebook chats, and, and everywhere across the spectrum, we've been talking to our customers. And you can't really talk to a sailor and understand their pain points unless you are a sailor, mm. right? It's kind of crucial in this very specific niche to be able to talk to them and understand what they say when they say, okay, well, this thing doesn't work or, or I wish we could do so-and-so, right? So Hannah is, is uh, our, our community manager, media, whatever phrase you want to give it. Uh, she's done an amazing job on this, right? So she does a lot of outreach. She does a lot of the content, um, talks to the customers directly. She's, she grew up on boats. She understands boats. Um, so that's very important for us. Uh, and it's also turns out a very um, interesting place for us. And, and we saw that from the beginning. Remember I said we, we, we launched and we were surprised by how many people you know, came to us and, 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 and the click-through rates and everything. And one of the reasons is that what we do 
we solve a problem that a lot of people might not even know they have. Right? They, they've been using five different apps to do what they want to do, and well, you know, that's just the way you do it. And it isn't until somebody shows you a different way to do it that you realize, oh, right, that, that's, that's clever. I, I could do it that way, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's also something that people don't necessarily search for. Right? They've been doing something one way, and that's how they've been doing it. So they're not searching for the solution that they don't know exists. Mm -hmm. uh, so for us, that really shows up in social. Right? Social channels work a lot better for us than, than you know, I don't know, Google search or something like that, because people aren't searching for this. But if you present this to them on their feed, on, on their Instagram, on, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, wherever, and they see it come across, it immediately grabs their attention because it's something that they – didn't know they, they want it until they saw it. Mm. Thing, right. So social is really good at, at doing that and getting in front of somebody and showcasing what you can do, how you can help them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's incredible. I, I fully agree with that, you know, and there's like, even if it was something where I think, you know, people already knew this solution existed and there was a portion of the market that were searching for it. You know, you have that, that larger part of scale that you can tap into is essentially that audience that doesn't know that this problem exists. Um, so that's, that's almost really, I guess that's a great place to leverage social, but it's, it's quite cool in the sense that maybe the whole market right now for you guys looks like, you know, they don't know that this solution exists, which is, yeah. Yeah, it just makes oh, sense to me on social. We also have another benefit, which is sailors. I don't know if you know any sailors, but um, mm -hmm. they won't shut up about sailing. <laughs> right? So they, we, we have one guy and he said seven years ago, uh, his friend said, oh, you should try sailing. You'll love it. And he wasn't convinced. Um, and then he tried it. And now he says he doesn't have any more friends that don't sail because <laughs> his other friends don't want to talk to him because he only talks about sailing. <laughs> and the, the funny bit is that it is it is a very close-knit uh, community, right? So, so there's a lot of things where where things go i wouldn't say they go viral like you know like crazy silicon valley viral but mm -hmm. but people do talk about it right somebody sees this and they'll talk to friends and it, it becomes a very social aspect of the people at my yacht club or the people at my marina and i'll show them or my buddies that i go sailing with over the weekend go, go try this out right so you get a mm -hmm. lot of that type of um interaction and, and yeah social is great for that obviously yeah wicked um so then moving on and, and looking, let's say, looking into the future, we've mentioned scaling quite a few times in this chat. So let's talk about that. And, and what does over the, the coming months, of course, you know, just before COVID, you guys were ready to sort of start putting fuel into this marketing machine. Um, mm -hmm. But then you had to hit the, the pause button for a little bit. So I imagine like now is probably the time where you guys are trying to actually start get that engine started. So what does that look like and sort of what goals are you guys setting moving forward in terms of scaling? Uh, yeah, if, if I had a, a crystal ball, right? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. Uh, we, we've had to press pause. Things mm. are picking up around the world. Uh, you know, lockdowns are easing here and there. Unfortunately and sadly, we also see places where, you know, things aren't going quite in the right direction. U.S., mm -hmm. for example, at the moment. Um, so this uh, this has an impact, right? And yeah. it makes it very, very difficult for us to predict what what is happening, what's going on. We we still get a lot of people, you know, we, we see a doubling in trial users. Um, conversion rates are, are tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, everything's tricky right now. Yeah. Um, it's getting better. Uh, so we obviously have plans to to start gradually pushing this machine. Um, for us, I think the, the, the other thing to keep in mind is... Uh, Sailing is a seasonal sport, right? Mm. Um, so one of the things that we are very, very uh, 
busy with is getting everything uh, ready for Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So obviously we can and are we are digital products, so we can go global, and that's great. Um, but we can only really service areas if we have the charts in that area, if we have the data, if we have everything ready for that particular place. So Q4 for us is, is the Southern Hemisphere because obviously you know, make the most of their summer while it's winter here. So that's something yeah. we're working really hard on. Um, and then the other thing that we're working over the next couple of months is to expand from just sailing to motorboats as well. So I'm a sailor, but obviously a motorboat has less need to know about the wind, but not zero, right? Mm-hmm. Wind still impacts you if you're on the water. Uh, tides still impact you. So we get a lot of people, uh, especially in the US, who like what we're doing and when do you have it for a motorboat right um you know i don't we tell you to tack up wind well if you've got a motorboat then you wouldn't be doing that so Mm -hmm. expanding into that market uh is another way that we want to you know expedite that growth and then really get a larger audience um you know nailing it for a niche and then then going wider is what we're doing so i think that's probably the two biggest things that we're doing right now to really get a, a a larger reach yeah um and then Everything beyond that is is almost on a week by week basis, just yeah. keeping an eye on what's going on, which countries are valid. There's no point in starting spending advertising money in a country where nobody's allowed to get on the boat. Right? Yeah. So really being clever about really, really laser focused marketing uh, into areas. Um, if we are targeting something really specific in France, well, another thing, make sure that the app is in French, like things like that, right? So. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's what yeah, no, absolutely, right. absolutely. It definitely gives us a good insight, you know, not only from what scale looks like to you guys, but um, and some of the challenges you're facing, but certainly what's on the roadmap for the future as well, um, and where it is you guys are looking to go. Um, cool. So before we, oh, <laughs> I was going to make a pun there, so where the wind blows, <laughs> but I, I just like <laughs> I decided against it. Um, but anyways, we have them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um i think yeah so before we move into wrapping up the show um let's look back um a little bit more personally into your journey over the past few years and um taking into account you know the audience is probably comprised of this podcast um of of people who are maybe they've still got their idea written down on a napkin you know they want to figure out Mm -hmm. how do i actually turn this into a real thing um or maybe you know it's someone who's halfway down the journey already um and you know they just want to hear some reassuring words from from someone who's just further down that journey than they are you know so with that taken into consideration, what are some of the, the piece of, pieces of advice that, that you could give to the audience? So just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, so, joking aside, um, so, uh, you know, this is, a, it's, um, it's a real cliche, but it is a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Jump into this. And, and I was fortunate enough to, to come from Google where, you know, over five years, I learned a tremendous amount, which if I had not had that uh, right now, Savinavi would be, long gone already. I wouldn't have been able to get to where we are right now. So there is an element of, of having enough expertise to start the journey. And if you don't, then make sure that you have a co-founder who does, yeah. right? Get in together with somebody who knows what they're doing. It's, it's one of the things that, you know, if I could have done it differently, um, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing and, and in an ideal world, blah, blah. But one of the things that Kevin and I struggle with is the fact that neither of us had started a, a, a started from scratch. 
right? So there's a lot of things that we have to learn the hard way, um, really the hard way. Um, that would have been better if we had a third person on board who had done this once before, right? So I think that's one of the things. Make sure that you or somebody on your team has that experience, um, even if it's unsuccessful. It doesn't matter. Like somebody has gone through it before and can, can highlight, okay, well, this is okay. This is not to worry about or we should focus on this. I think that's one of the things that's really important. Um, I think the other thing is uh, get a thick skin. Um, be be ready to hear a lot of no. Yeah. Right? Um, everybody everybody's got an opinion. Everybody will give you their opinion. Uh, everybody thinks their opinion is right. Uh, everybody will think that you're wrong, um, and that's can be disheartening, right? It it can be disheartening at times to just constantly be told you're crazy or you know, this is just don't even try or for whatever reason. But if you're gonna change something you, you you have to get through that right um so stick to your guns i guess is 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 the point there um but at the same time don't be too stubborn right yeah <laughs> if, if a thousand people tell you that this isn't going to work then maybe they're onto something right so you got to be able to pick the right set of feedback and, and criticism and and pair that um um but you know as i said it's a roller coaster there there's many lows, but there's also a lot of highs, and uh, you know I wouldn't have it any other way. So. Incredible. If you, if you dream about doing something like this to start up, um, the reason I ended up doing it is because I knew that if I didn't, I would kick myself for not having tried. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if that means that it wasn't going to pan out, or we couldn't find funding, or whatever, um, if I hadn't tried it, I would have always wondered whether or not it would have worked on so i think that's the reason i did it um but um yeah it's it, it uh it can be can be tough let's just put it that way so a massive thank you to savvy navi for speaking to us you can find them on the app store or google play store by searching savvy navi that's s-a-v-v-y-n-a-v-v-y or visit them online at savvy-navi.com. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at heybluedrop on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.